but not be actually dialed in. When I say dialed in, I mean uh, really uh, uh, focusing in on our growth, our walk with the Lord, and what he wants to do in our lives. Because I've shared with you before time and time again that every one of us in here have been blessed by God and we've been endowed by God with spiritual gifts and God wants to utilize every born-again believer to help advance the kingdom of God. And part of that advancement, amen, of the kingdom of God and the kingdom agenda is that we have to be equipped and we have to be dialed in and focused on the purpose and the eternal destiny of the church. And so church is more than just about singing. It's more than just about coming together corporately and grouping together. It's about understanding our purpose and letting that purpose drive our lifestyle, okay? Everything that we do should be driven, amen, through our God-ordained purpose. Every decision that we make, every place that we go, every person who we yoke up together with, that should be driven by our eternal purpose. And so what we're going to look at tonight is take a look back at the early church, and we're just going to look at three basic principles. Uh, over the next few weeks or so, we'll be, we'll be talking about some, uh, some principles that will help us as a born-again body of believers. And I want, I, want, I, want, I want us to focus in and I want to dial in on it. And I want each one of us individually to look at ourselves and evaluate. Uh, like Paul said, I think it was in 2 Corinthians 13, chapter, he says, examine yourself to see whether or not your faith is genuine. All right, because you don't know if it's genuine until you have to use it, correct? And we use it every day, obviously, but until, until we have to pull on nothing but what we say we believe in, we don't really know if we really believe in that. We can talk, we can sing about it, we can pray about it, but do we really believe it, okay? So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, in verse number 42, we're talking about the focus of the church. Acts chapter 2, very familiar passage of scripture, but I want us to dial into it. Because if EBC and any other church that's open in the name of Jesus Christ is going to be effective in reaching the lost and discipling and training those who are saved, we have to have uh, a focus that's in line with what God's will and his purpose is for our life. Okay? So, the focus of the church. And we're going to look at the early church because how many of you know and when you read your Bibles that the early church had phenomenal impact, Kendall? The early church, even in one setting, when Peter stood up and preached, 3,000 souls came to Christ in that one setting. Uh, and the early church had such kingdom impact that they were known as that group of people who are turning the world upside down. So what I would like to see uh, in this community, especially, I would like to see EBC be known as a church that's having kingdom impact in the lives of the family members that are here and also in the lives of the community at large here. Uh, it's, it's interesting, uh, when, you, when you go out into the community and people will ask you about this ministry, or they, they know that, well, I, I pastor here, they know that you guys are members here. Um, it's interesting to me to always kind of get a feel for what they think about this church. Not that we're doing church to try to impress anybody, but it, but it, it does feel good when you realize that your ministry is having impact not only just in here, but out there also, okay? And you guys are very well thought of, amen, as a, as a corporate body. But are we really being as 
efficient and as effective as we could be. And I, I would submit to you that we are not being as efficient as, and as effective as we could be. The early church, man, those guys were so fired up. They were passionate about their faith to the point to where they were willing to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ, okay? So let's watch this text here, Acts chapter number two, and we'll read verses 42 through 47, and we'll look at Acts the fourth chapter, verses 32 through 35, okay? All right, and so uh, the text says here, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Verse 43, can we read together? A deep sense of awe came over all them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Next verse. says what? And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. 45. says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Let's go. Next verse. says what? They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse number 47, let's read it. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, okay? Those who were being saved. Talking about the focus of the church, this early church, amen, which had so much impact if we can look at what they were focused on and maybe we can turn our attention and focus toward that, then it would have, I think it's possible for us to have some of the same type of impact even today. Because what we got to realize is the early church had nothing more than what we have available to us. The Old Testament saints didn't have anything more available to them than what we have available to us. As a matter of fact, uh, when you look at Old Testament covenant relationship versus New Testament, we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us under the old covenant, the Spirit of God came upon men to empower them to do work. So we got the Holy Ghost. We got the ability for the Holy Ghost to fill us and to control our lives. And so when we learn that, when we recognize that, when we yield ourselves to the Spirit's will, we can have supernatural impact in the year 2018. Can I get a witness? But how many of you really believe that? How many of you believe that you can lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover? How many of you believe that God can supernaturally, amen, help you to be able to bless somebody, amen, beyond measure? How many of you believe that God can bless your idea, amen, turn to a business proposition, and you can become the next Bill Gates? How many of you really believe that? How many of you, how many of you really believe that, that, that God can give you the wisdom to make sound investment advice, and you can become the next Warren Buffett? And if you don't know who Warren Buffett is, then we got a long way to go, but you can get there, okay? All right, are y'all following me? It, how many of us really believe that? Sometimes I think we put limits on God because of our background, our culture, our social upbringing, but I'm here to tell you, I, I, I believe that we can do anything that God sets our hands to accomplish. And we don't, there's no limits on us because of where we come from, what we look like on the outside. God is not a respective person, but he is a respective faith. Can I get a one witness up in here? All right, so, so, so our theme here as we go through this is, is today's church needs to copy the healthy habits seen in the early church. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Our church today needs to copy the healthy habits seen in the early church. 
Now, everything that the early church did wasn't perfect, but we know that they had kingdom impact at such an exponential level that it caused those who were still operating under Judaism or under the Jewish religion to become very uh, insecure about the impact they were having. And see, when people got saved and got born again and understood who Jesus was and understood they didn't have to keep buying all these different idols and animal sacrifices and stuff, it had an economic impact on that religion. It had an economic impact on them. So people, when you mess with somebody's money, they get real upset. Can I get one half, half a witness up in here? Some of y'all will deal with folks, when they, when they mess with your money, notice how we say your money, our money, it really belongs to God. But when somebody messes with you economically, people, people will look at you a little bit different. Can I get a witness? As a matter of fact, some of y'all in here will act a little different if somebody messes with your financial resources. And so this newfound Christianity, this spreading of the gospel was having economic impact, amen, on the Jewish temple. Can I get a witness? As people began to understand and know what God really intended, it impacted, amen, their faith walk. So uh, look at the first key point in your outline. First thing that we want to notice about the early church is, number one, the early church spent time studying the revealed word of God. The early church spent time studying the revealed word of God. Again, let's look at verse number 42 in Acts chapter 2 one more time. Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. Glory to God. The text says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when you devote yourself to someone's teaching, that means that you spend ample time, first of all, discovering what the apostles are actually teaching, right? And then after, after studying what the apostles were teaching, if you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, that means that you make a conscious decision that I'm going to follow this stuff, I'm going to do this stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I'm not doing what James 1 and 22, well, I want to do what James 1 and 22 says, be ye doers of the word and not what? Hearers only doing what? Deceiving our own selves. This group of, of believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, the KJV says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. That means that when they learned it, they, they, they submitted themselves to that teaching and they followed after it. Now, it's, it, it's a crying shame when we as believers come to church, hear word preached, but we, make, we don't make a conscious effort to make sure that we're living that out on a daily basis. In other words, we're not, it, there are Christians who are inside the church who don't try to live this stuff. And so if we don't try to live it, if we just lack a days ago about it, we just come here and go and leave, and it doesn't impact what we say at home, what we do on social media, what we do uh, at school, or what we, how we behave on our job. If this stuff doesn't impact you, why even come? You might as well stay at home, okay? So, but since you're out here, and since you're going to listen for me for the next 33 minutes, I hope, then you ought to at least try to do some of this stuff, because I'm not trying to tell you to do anything it doesn't line up with God's will, all right? So, but watch, watch. Okay, so the early church spent time studying the revealed 
word of God. Now, I want to ask you a question in your life. How, how, how would the world be different if all Bibles, including electronic and otherwise, disappeared to, tomorrow and you had no access to the Bible? Would that impact your life? Just don't, don't, even, say, don't even say anything right now, okay? But, but if, if, if there were no more Bibles, electronic, paper, otherwise, would it impact your life significantly? That's what I want to know. Now, now, I know people will automatically say yes, but think about this for a second. If you only, you know, you know, maybe pick it up periodically, then it may not even really impact you because if, if, if you're not spending time with it, and if it's not there, then you really won't even miss it. But, but these guys here, guys, look what it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The early church, look at your outline, was devoted to the apostles' teaching, amen? The fact that the apostles actually saw who Jesus was and what he did, amen, forms a common thing through the apostolic writings. Let's go, let's go real quick and look at 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and look at verses 5 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 5 through 8, amen, talking about the focus of the church. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 5 through number 8. It says, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12, referencing Jesus here. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. This is the resurrection. Jesus was seen by people alive at the time. He, go back to verse number six, 5 right quick. Hurry, hurry. It says, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. Next verse says what? After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. This is the time it's writing here. Verse number seven says what? Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. All right? Verse eight says what? Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now, who's talking in this text? Paul is. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Paul see him physically while he was here on earth? When did Paul encounter and see Jesus? On the road to Damascus. He saw him, a man in his glorified body, when he was on the way to persecute the church. Y'all know the story, right? And so he, he interfaced and he came face to face with the resurrected Savior. And so he saw him, and so he was impacted by the fact that he saw him. Go to 2 Peter, chapter number 1, verse number 16. So the apostles saw him, okay? The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, amen? And, and so they actually saw who Jesus was and what he did, and, and it's, 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 it's common throughout the themes of their writings. The text says in 2 Peter 1, 16, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Peter says, we saw it ourselves. Now think about the impact of that. You were following a man who was crucified, but then he was buried and resurrected. Now again, remember the story, when, when, when he first was crucified, the apostles were running scared. Which one of them didn't believe that Jesus had risen from, risen from the dead? Remember, we, we, we talk about Thomas, but the other ones were running scared too. He was not really the only one because until 
amen, that resurrection and after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, amen, they, the, until that time period, the, 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 the apostles, the, the disciples were running scared because, amen, they were being persecuted. And so, but when they saw Jesus resurrected and then when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, their whole concept and their attitude changed. Go to 1 John 1 and 1 right quick. You all know this one? But let's look at it one more time, 1 John 1 and 1. So the early church spent time studying the real word of God. We're going to see this when we go to Acts, the fourth chapter after this one. John 1 and 1 says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is John talking. That impacted him. Have y'all ever had something happen in your life that impacts you so significantly that you won't ever forget it? Do you realize that there, there, there are people who had stuff happen to them positively and negatively, and it's impacting them still today? There are family of origin issues and stuff that we may have faced that on the negative side that can hinder you if you don't learn how to let Jesus, amen, get you over that thing. But there are also some, some, some positive a God-affirming words that were maybe spoken in your life or you had a mentor or someone who believed in you, who backed you, and that transformed your life even today, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later. How many of y'all can remember somebody who spoke into your life? A teacher, a coach, a parent, an uncle, or somebody who spoke into your life and those positive words impacted you to such a point that you are still moving forward today. See, this event of the resurrection, them seeing the Savior face to face, had significant impact on the early church. And these guys were passionate about, amen, the work of the Lord because they knew, they had no doubt that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And see, that's the one thing that we got to realize. If we're going to live this life with a sense of passion and purpose, we got to believe in the resurrection. It cannot be any doubt that Jesus resurrected from the grave. That's the one thing that makes Christianity different from any other world religion. Because Christianity is about relationship with a risen Savior, not about doing stuff religiously. And when you understand that, and when you believe that with all your heart, trust me, child of God, it will impact how you focus and how you live your Christian life. And it did that for the early church. Dedication to the Word of God revealed by reliable eyewitnesses calls the early church to be one in heart and mind. Go to Acts, the fourth chapter. Acts chapter four, verse number 32. So we're still on point number one. The early church spent time studying the revealed word of God. Amen. And that's something that we have to realize. Now, guys, when I say this, I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about studying this just to gain knowledge. I, I fear that some believers, and some of y'all here may be in that boat, where you, when we talk about Pastor, you're always talking about study. You're always employing and exhorting us to study the Word of God. I, you know, I, 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 I want to know. I want to be able to study my Sunday school lesson. I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to understand. But, but it's not about just gaining knowledge, guys. It's about knowing. You know, I heard Tanya start talking to you earlier about the root word for know. It's an intimate knowledge. And that's what God is trying to get us to the point of where we intimately know him in such a way, shape, form, and fashion that that relationship shapes everything that we do. Can I get a witness? How many of you guys are here married? How many of y'all uh, will admit that, you're, that the covenant relationship that you're in 
shapes how you do certain things. How many of y'all will admit that your covenant relationship shapes how, what time you come in at night? Anybody in the house? I, I want you to marry a dude in here who come in the house at 4 o'clock in the morning with no explanation, and when the wife said, where you been? You're like, what do you mean where I've been? I've been where I've been. Is any dude, any dude in here that lost his mind and doing that now? No, no, your, your covenant relationship with that spouse affects what time you come in. Is that right? I would even say this. That covenant relationship with your spouse will affect to a certain degree who you talk to and how much you talk to them. Can I get half a witness up in here? Huh? I will even say this. That covenant relationship with your spouse affects how you relate to your parents. And it should. Some of y'all got quiet on me then, huh? Because the Bible does say, therefore should a man leave his father and mother and cleave it to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Relationship priority. Once you come into covenant relationship, your, your relationship with your parents are not the priority any longer. It's your relationship with your spouse. So that covenant relationship truly does affect how you relate to your parents. Can I get a witness? That covenant relationship affects a lot of things. Your covenant relationship with this church, likewise, should affect how you relate to society as a whole and how you relate to your spouse and your children. Because if you're in covenant with the local assembly, a man that's preaching the word of God, and that local assembly, a man sharing with you principles, doctrine from the word that teaches you how to live your life, then if you're in covenant relationship with that church, it should impact what you do in your life. It should. Otherwise, don't even come. Because you're coming here, and what you're learning doesn't impact how you live life, then what good does it do? The early church, amen, adhered to, and they followed the apostles' doctrine. Look at this text right quick. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Now watch this now. This is the early church. The text says what? All the believers were united what? In heart and mind. In other words, the early church, because of uh, these reliable witnesses who saw Jesus resurrect from the grave, they, it caused the early church, amen, to be, of one, be one in heart and in mind. The text says again, and they felt that they owned that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. They shared everything that they had. Now, now guys, this, this is important. I want you to, to hear me as I go through, and we'll share this a little bit later. This, this thing that was happening, especially with the Jerusalem church, was a very uh, unique phenomenon to the point to where they shared, I mean, they sold stuff and brought it to the apostles and the apostles distributed it. Now, now, now one thing I want you to realize is that that was not necessarily a mandatory um, um, thing that's there because the, the church uh, of Jerusalem expressed the, the fellowship they had with, with one another by selling their possessions and giving the income to the apostles 
uh, to be distributed to meet the needs of all the believers. Now, now but y'all remember Ananias and Sapphira, right? Look at the fourth chapter again of Acts, Acts chapter 4. And let's, let's do this right quick. Let's, let's run down through, starting at verse, uh, verse number 31. Verse number 31. Let's start at verse 31. It says what? And when, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with what boldness? See, some, some, sometimes I believe that the lack of boldness in the lives of many saints is because they haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost. See, the Holy Spirit will give you spiritual boldness. Doesn't mean you're going to be obnoxious, rude, or, or belligerent. It just means that you have boldness to share truth. How many of you know it takes boldness to speak truth? Okay? And it takes courage to speak truth. We learned in one of our, the men studies that we did, is called a courageous stepping up. We, we discovered something. Courage is not necessarily the absence of fear. But courage is, is the willingness to act and to move and to do what's right in the face of fear. And so that, it, it may be just some little things like being able to speak truth to your spouse that requires courage on your part. Because some people, some couples sitting here right now know, as you look at me, that you can't speak truth to your spouse without a blow-up happening. So what you end up doing, you start acquiescing, and you won't say anything. You won't even say what needs to, you won't even speak God's word to your spouse because you're afraid that they're going to blow up. They're going to get angry. So rather than having anger in a fight, I just, shh, just be quiet. I just let it, we're just going to go along to get along. We're just going to keep peace. God ain't never told you to keep peace. What did he tell you to hold truth to keep peace? Jesus came, man, Jesus spoke. Do you remember when Jesus drove folk out of the temple? Jesus would call sin, sin. He spoke truth in love, but God never called upon us to be afraid to speak truth. Courage can be something simple as speaking truth to your spouse when you know that they don't know how to receive truth and they're going to come back at you real hard. But you speak it anyhow. Because you love them, and you want to see God's best in their life. Some of y'all looking at me, and some of y'all, this is real, real to some of y'all, because y'all feel it down in your spirit. You know you've experienced that when you just held it in. But God calls upon you to be real. Look at his neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to be real. All right, now watch this, watch this, watch this. Look at verse 32. Let's go. Come on. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they, what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. Look at the next verse. Let's go. Come on, let's read. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Next verse. Let's go. Come on, let's read. It says, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them, 35, come on, and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. 36, let's read. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. I told you before when we talked this before, that Cyprus was an island that had very rich soil. And that soil, you know, rich soil meant that you can grow some of everything there. And so when you got rich soil and not old some hard clay, 
that rich soils could produce fruit, crop, and it made the land very valuable, right? So here's Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of consolation, selling that valuable land from the island of Cyprus and bringing the money and landing at the apostles' feet. Look at the next verse. Let's read. Verse 37 says what? He sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Go, go to verse chapter 5. Y'all know the story. Ananias and Sapphira. Now again, the reason why I want to go to chapter 5, verse number 1, is because what you got to realize is that this was something that they did voluntarily. This was not a mandate, and this is not where the church today, you got to go and sell everything you got and bring the money to, the, to me or bring it to the church, and the deacons and say, I sold my house, sold my car, and I brought all my money. Don't do that, please. I mean, if, if you, unless the Holy Spirit told you to do that, don't do that. And I'm not putting it past the could tell you, but that's not, that wasn't a pattern to be followed by every church. As a matter of fact, you see other churches didn't do this, but specifically for this instance, they did it. Well, look at the text here. But there was a certain rich, there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Now, Barnabas sold property, brought the money, and we can assume based on where he was from, the land was very valuable, that the money that he reaped from the sale of that property probably made some eyes pop out of the church. Would that be a fair assessment? If, if let's, 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 come on, let's talk about it for a second. All right, how many of y'all know that in Bossier Parish, land in North Bossier is very expensive? I mean, very expensive compared to other areas, okay? If you got in good first and you got a bunch of it, you hold on to it and, and you, can, you, can, you can get some money, all right? Because even though you all that may be out a little bit, pretty soon they're going to run out of room up here. And they will start going out there. And they'll go start going north of there. So if you got some, hold on to it. And it's, 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 it's valuable now. Compared to some other places where it's not so valuable. Right? So just imagine that you had a valuable piece of land. Let's say you had 15 acres on uh, Benton Road or on Airline Drive, on Airline Drive, just beyond 220. Now, guys. I don't know if you realize that, but I remember when that was all pretty much cotton fields. And most of that land, guys, was owned by a, a, a real estate holding company that, that was a family-owned deal. How many of y'all know, and I know those folks personally, those folks are very wealthy. Because all that land they sold, the Willis Knight and all those, the restaurants and Chick-fil-A, all that covered up north, they sold all that land. They even controlled how the land was used. They, they, they controlled how the land was used by, by saying, if we sell it to you, these are the purposes which it can be used for. Guys got boatloads of dollars because they sold the land, right? Now watch this. I ain't mad at them. Don't you be mad at them. Get you some land. <laughs> Buy it in the right spot and sell it. Don't be mad at people who, 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 you know, who you know, got some land and sold it. The text says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. From the valuable island, I mean, now, Barnabas sold it from Cyprus, which was valuable, so we can assume that the dollars came to the apostles, and you can assume that that probably got around in the church. Let me say something. If you came, and the Lord blessed you, and you dropped a $2 million tied check in this church, it's going to get around. Because you know what? I'm going to shout before we get back to the finance room. 
I, you know, I, I, I don't have to tell who gave it. I can just shout, woo, thank you, Jesus. So you, can you imagine a $2 million tide check coming in? The building project will be paid for just, just like that. Yeah, can y'all imagine? Can y'all, can y'all say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast to see? Don't doubt in your heart, but believe it those things that you say go come to pass, you have what you say. Do y'all believe that? Can you, can, do you have the faith to believe that God can bless somebody in this body? I want to know. Why has it got to be over there? Why has it got to be some dude in California? How come it can't be one of us? Kaylee, you understand what I'm saying? It can be one of us. It may be you. In about 15 or 20 years. <laughs> Glory to God. So, so can you imagine that happening? So, so Barnabas, being the son of encouragement, gave it. But now watch what happened. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Now look at verse 2. Come on, y'all know the story. He brought part of the, he brought part of the money. He brought part of the money. Now the other was Barnabas sold a piece of land and brought all of the money. Is that what it says? Let's back up and see what it said. That last verse in chapter number 4. Uh, 4, verse, what's it, verse number, is it 37. Yeah, 4 and 37. It says, he sold a field he owned and brought part of the money. He brought the money to the apostles. So he sold it and gave it all. Now go to this next chapter 5, verse number 2. Come on, let's go. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was a foot line. Watch this. He brought part of the money to the apostles, but he claimed it was the full amount. Now, I want to ask you a question. What motivated him to pretend like it was the full amount? Do you, do you think that there was some inclination, he had some insight as to what Barnabas did when the text said he brought all of the money? I would, I would, I would submit to you that, that, that he, he was probably aware of that. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. He and his wife presenting a lie. Look at, watch this. Come on, let's move. Come on, guys. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now, look, look at what he says here in verse 4. Watch it now, okay? The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wish. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. In other words, he says, you sold, you could have did whatever you want to do with that money. So why did I read that? Because it was not a mandate that they, that they sell everything and bring to the apostles. But it was because many were pressing their spirit to do so. Okay? All right, now watch it. Let's get back to our outline. All right, so, uh, so, so anyhow, we know the story of how, how this ends, right? Y'all know this? In case you don't, read verse 5. Let's go. Watch this. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Wait a minute. What did it say? Lying to the Holy Ghost. As soon as those words came out, dropped dead. Judgment came swiftly. KW says, he gave up the ghost. 
How do you want to say it? He died. He's ten toes up. Whatever you want to say. <laughs> Below the ground instead of above the ground. However you want to phrase it, the dude was dead. Now watch what the next verse says. Okay. Um, then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Verse 7, watch this. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now they had their story together before they ever came to the church, obviously, but she, had, she didn't know what had happened to her husband. How many of y'all think if she knew what had happened to her husband when she told the truth? I think she probably would have. I, I'm just betting she probably would have said, you know, I, yeah, 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 and I, that's you, but I ain't, I ain't, I'm not going there. <laughs> Look at verse 8, come on, let's read. It says what? Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Now, verse number nine, watch this. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband, they right outside the door, and they're going to carry you out too. Man, that's cold. Isn't it? It's cold. Watch, look at the next verse. Watch this. Watch this. Instantly, everybody say immediately. She fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Look at the next verse. Says, Watch this. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I wonder what some of them said. You know, I lied last year. <laughs> am I going to drop dead? Guys, the point is, it was theirs to do with it. There was, no, there was no requirement that they sell it and bring it to the church. But I think there was somewhere, somewhere along the line here, there was something got inside of them, and I believe it was to try to do stuff for show. Don't ever do stuff for the Lord to be seen of men. Your motivation is not right. Now get back. Look at outline number two, uh, uh, key Bible truth number two. The early church spent time sharing their lives with one another. Okay? With one another. Now, before we jump in there, remember we talked about dedication to the word. The early church spent time studying the revealed word of God. They had a hunger for God's word, okay? Uh, and we know that Peter compared the believer's desire for God's word to the hunger of a newborn baby for nourishing milk. As Peter says, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. A newborn baby desires milk. And that newborn baby doesn't know anything. I mean, when, whenever there's a hunger pain, they cry and they want the milk. The milk produces the nourishment which enables the child to grow, right? And so just like that child hungers and desires milk, amen, to feed the physical body, what, what Peter says, we as Christians should have a hunger, amen, for the word of God that just like a baby who needs that milk. Y'all follow me? The Bible is, you know, the milk of the word is basically the elementary truth of the God word, but we got we to gotta have a hunger and desire for that, okay? Now, so the early church spent time sharing that, number two, sharing their lives with one another. Go back to Acts 2, 45 44 and 45, and then we'll do the fourth chapter, verse 32 and 35. Glory to God. The focus of the church is what we're on, the focus of, of the church. Glory to God. 
the focus of the church. All right. It says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verse 45 says, well, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those that are in need. Go to four, Acts, the fourth chapter, verse number 32, again, one more time. See, uh, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. 33, let's go. It says what? The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. 34 and 35, let's read it. It says, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to... to to, to give the, to those in need. None suffered lack in this body right here because people were moved by the Spirit of God and they were generous. Generosity is, is, is a hallmark of people who, who appreciate what God has done for them. Generosity, in other words, being able to sow liberally. But again, let's, 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 let's unpack this second point here. The early church spent time sharing their lives with one another. Fellowship, look at your outline, fellowship is more than just sharing a dinner together or as, as we thought about it in, in, in a lot of our churches, we say, we need to fellowship. We're telling other churches that, well, that's fellowship. Let's have a program at 2.30. Here's what I learned about 2.30 programs. Now, they were, they were great in their day, but, but, but what, I, what I do realize and understand now, y'all ain't coming back to 2.30 programs. Talking about we're going to fellowship. Hello? Am I right? Now, come on now, if we, if we go back 15 to 20 years, that was, that's what we did, a lot of churches did. You know, of course now we, we for the last 15 or 20 years maybe have a, a Thanksgiving and praise service in, in, in November, uh, that's a Sunday night, and that, like that kills some of y'all. And then, and then y'all watch night program. I mean, just one, two times a year, some of y'all like, oh Lord, you gotta go back. Come on, I know I'm right about it. That, that, I feel it in my spirit as your pastor. It used to be when we would go off to another church, you didn't have to be one of, one of the program ministries, in other words, in sound and choir and ushers. You would go because you were just a member of the church. You were just going to support your pastor and going to what we said was fellowship. Now, if you're, if, if you're not <laughs> on to serve, some of y'all are like, I, Pastor, I, I heard you this morning. That you did good this morning. <laughs> I ain't mad at you. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you what I feel, okay? But it used to be there's a, there's, a, there's a changing in how we do things now. And there's a reprioritizing. And I'm not saying some of this. Again, I'm not knocking that. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, uh, but what I'm saying, that's not really true fellowship. Us getting together and having a program together. We say, oh, we, we had good fellowship. It goes deeper than that. You know, one of the things we've been talking about as a ministry is connected. You know, our, our tagline is building faith, connecting families. We're doing the building project to connect the buildings to help us connect with each other family-wise, all right, because it gives us the opportunity to do different things with the appropriate space and not have to break down, tear up, not break down, tear up, set up, take down, set up, take down. So the building project will help us do that, to connect the buildings, but, but there's, the, the connectivity goes beyond that because many of you all and all of us are here need to learn how to connect better with our individual family units. And then we need to connect better with the community. We want to be a city that sits on a hill and cannot be here, a light that's shining in a dark world. 
So that means that when we do things and we invite community in, we want to have the appropriate space to do it the right way. I don't believe in doing stuff junky. I want to do stuff when we go do it. I think if we're going to represent Christ, let's give it our best planning, our best thought process. Don't just throw something together into my, where the Lord knows our heart. Yeah, he know your heart, but you didn't give him your best. Clearly it wasn't planned. You thought of it the day before. And God deserves our best. Can I get a witness? Fellowship is more than just coming together for a 230 program. Amen? It's more than just going to dinner with you. Amen? Um, it's, 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 it's becoming, look, look at it, it's becoming a single entity sharing together in weakness and in strength. Go to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse number 26, right quick. 1 Corinthians 12 and 26. Hurry, 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 guys. 1 Corinthians 12 and 26 says, if one part suffers, now this, see, see fellowship means that we, we, we have one mind and we have one spirit. It's more than just eating uh, at the local restaurant together. Fellowship means that we have one mind and we have one spirit. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. See, see this is symbolic of the, the, the body of Christ. Doris, if you hurting, I'm hurting. Because we connected. We're part of the same body. Uh, um, Charles, if, if, if you rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. Because we're connected. Part of the same body. Fellowship means that we are one mind and we are one spirit. We're connected together based on the commonality of Jesus Christ our Lord. Biblically, fellowship is twofold. Look at your outline. It's, it is a fellowship with us, in other words, other believers, and a fellowship with the Father and with His Son. This is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit when we look at it in 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. We don't have time to go there. But, but we got to realize that it's twofold. Fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and with his Son. Biblical fellowship is being united with Christ and then being one in spirit and in purpose. Go to Philippians 2 with me right quick. Philippians 2, verse 1 and 2. Biblical fellowship is being united with Christ and then being one in spirit and in purpose. So uh, just because you're a member of this church doesn't mean that we're in fellowship together. I would hope that it would, but it doesn't automatically mean that it is. Philippians 2, 1 through 2. Are y'all there with me? Let's read it. It says, well, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Look at the next verse. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. You know how you keep mess out of a church? Stay focused on your purpose. See, when you, when you stay, if you don't become detached from your purpose, you can keep mess out the church. It's, it look, then make me truly happy. Paul, who's writing to the saints at Philippi, the church of Philippi, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and doing what? And working together with one mind and one purpose. See, guys, 
With that dual fellowship, we dedicate ourselves to the interest of others. Watch, look at, look at three and four with me right quick. Watch this, guys. Can we read out loud on purpose? Let's read it. It says what? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Watch this, watch this. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. Here's how you know if you're in fellowship really with people is when you care about their interests as well as yours. If we're honest, there's some people who are just so focused on themselves that they have no connectivity with other people. And I'm gonna tell you something, you know, I was reading something the other day and, and, and it, it, it really kind of pricked me a little bit. We talked about, you know, friend, what, you know friendships and, and what to look out for, amen? I, mean, I, t- I told you I read this time this guy was saying that he, he had, uh, went down south to visit uh, some cousins and he heard uh, his, his cousin dad say something. He said, now when y'all come back from the ball game, be careful who you hang out with because he said, stupid rubs off. <laughs> he said, stupid rubs off. Now, what, basically what he was saying is you got to be careful who you yoking up with. And, and, and watch this. Go with me right quick. And guys, I doggone it. Um, go with me right quick to um, Proverbs 13 and 20 right quick. Proverbs 13 and 20. Just pop it up right quick. Proverbs 13 and 20. Because there are some people who we're, we're not really in fellowship with, even though you may be hanging with. Because we read a while ago that true fellowship involves having the same mind and the same purpose. Okay? Some people, <coughs> you probably need to sort of wean yourself from. There's some warning signs I'm gonna, we're going to look at that, that Solomon gave us that we ought to tell us certain kind of people who have these traits, you may need to kind of just wean yourself from. Look at what this text says. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and what's going to happen? Can we read it again? It says what? Walk with the wise and become wise. But you associate with fools going to get in trouble. Stupid does rub out. Rub out. Okay? Now watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Go with me real quickly. Hurry, hurry. Number of time is moving. Proverbs 6, chapter, verse number 16. See, some of us need to take heed to where we are and who we are, quote, fellowshipping with. Because really, the truly fellowship, you got to be at the same mind in the same purpose, right? You can be hanging with somebody, but you're not really fellowshipping with them. But if you hang with them long enough, stupid does rub off. That's what that, I just read it. You know, you, when you hang with fools, you're going to get in trouble. Oh, he's so much fun. He's such a crazy dude. Yeah, man. He, okay. But you keep hanging with crazy dude and not have an impact on crazy dude, but crazy dude is having an impact on you, you're gonna find yourself doing the same thing crazy dude did, and then now you find yourself in trouble 
because you were hanging with a fool. The Bible says when you, when you deal with a fool, whether you rage or laugh, you're not going to have any peace. Think about that for a second. When you deal with a fool, you can get mad at him or you can laugh with him, but you ain't going to have no peace because they're going to keep you off balance. Watch this. So, so here, six things, six things. Seven, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests. Um, and, and watch this. When, when, you go, when you go down through here and talking about friendship, and sometimes if, you, if you're going to truly fellowship with people, you got to have the same purpose, same mind, right? Some people, in order for you to move forward, you got to start curling out of your life. Jesus, you know, you know Jesus had... You know, start out with, I think it was 72 disciples. And he had 12 apostles. And he had three that was really close in the inner circle. He had two close inner circles. Peter, James, and John, who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Mary, Martha, and who? Lazarus. And it was, it's interesting to me that Jesus would just go over to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house and just kick it. When I say kick it, I mean just relax. I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. Some of y'all, when you say kick it, that means something else. But Jesus would go over to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house and, and stay there and get fed and, and, and relax. And so he had a special relationship with them, but he also had a special relationship with Peter, James, and John, who went to the Mountain of Transfiguration with him, who went farther with them as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane than, than the other disciples did. So he had the 72, but he had the 12, and then he had the three. See, sometimes I think some of us are trying to be in close friendship with 15 people, and you can't do that. You can have 15 associates, but people who can really speak into your life, you're not going to have 15 people who, 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 who you're going to be trusting at that level. But, but watch this. Paul said this, and before I read this, Paul said this, and write down 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Paul said this, he, Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals. That's one translation. Evil communication corrupts good manners. So when you hang in with people who are even in the church, who are real gossipy, real carnal, talking about everybody in church and everything that goes on in church, and you sit there and listen to that stuff and won't check them in a God-honoring way, pretty soon you're going to be talking about everybody in the church and being critical and negative. And so when you see people with these traits in your life, you, you probably start culling some of them out, out of your inner circle. Watch this. Here's the first one. How many of you got friends who are full of pride, number one? Haughty eyes, that means pride. Write down pride. You got to filter your close friendships. If you got somebody who's full of pride, in other words, haughty spirit, some, others, some people may call it arrogant. You better be careful. Haughty eyes. Number two, a liar, a, dis, a person who's dishonest, got a lying tongue. How many of you got friends who just lie? You know they lie. Here's what will happen to you. And I don't know my time is running. Here's what will happen to you. 
you start lying so much, you start believing your own lies. Do y'all know those kind of folks? <clears throat> Boy, I, I can think of some people who are on the public scene now to just lie. But this happens in the church. Listen to me carefully. There are people in the church who lie, and you know they're lying. And then when you call them on the fact they're lying, they get mad at you for calling out their lie. When you have people like that, you kind of, they don't need to be a part of your inner circle. People who are dishonest. You want people around you who are honest. Well, I'm just trying to help. Listen, I'm talking about your inner circle. People who can speak into your life, pray with you. If, they all, if they're lying all the time, they can't be truthful about stuff, they're trying to you know, boost themselves up to be something that they're not, Dishonesty, I mean, I'm telling you, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to kill you. It's going to hurt you. Dishonest people. You know, talk about true fellowship. Because when you're in fellowship, you're the same mind and the same purpose. Look at the next one. Write this one down. Um, the KJV says hands that shed innocent blood, but this is a mean-spirited people. If you got mean-spirited people in your inner circle, it's going to harm you. Sooner or later, okay? Solomon was warning us to be weary, wary of people who, who, who will use their power to exploit others. People who, who oppress those who are weak, amen? Be aware of those individuals who like to throw their weight around and, and just, just brutish folks, okay? Mean spirit, that's a danger signal, okay? What are you gonna do with those kind of folks? You better start culling them if they're not willing to change and listen. Um, for, uh, you know, it talks about a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that, that, that run swiftly to do evil. Four and five are people who are looking for trouble. Y'all ever had some friends who always look for trouble? Every time, everywhere y'all go, they were fighting. They were always the one at the game, at the, go to the rival high school, they want to they get into a fight with somebody. You know, or, you know, a starting mess, somebody who's looking for trouble. You, you got to be careful of those kind of people, okay? What, number six, people who spread gossip and slander. If you, if you hang with people who talk about other people all the time, that's a good chance when you're not around, they're talking about you. If they, what, what's the old saying? If they carry a bone, what was it? If they, if they bring a bone, they'll carry a bone. If they talking about everybody to you, when you ain't around, there's a good chance they're talking about you. So watch out for people who spread gossip and slandering other people's names. Guys, even if you know stuff about people, why do you got to tell everybody else about it? Pray for people. Go to them and try to help them, okay? And lastly, um, people who are divisive, who's a person who stirs up conflict. Okay? Person who spreads dissension amongst people. Proverbs 16 and 20 says a perverse person stirs up conflict. Okay? So, again, th those are the kind of people you got to be careful that you don't, you're not pulling into your inner circle. All right? There's a whole lot more I can say on that, but I, I got I to finish. Get, let me get this last one. The early church spent time worshiping God. They spent time worshiping God. The first believers were devoted 
to the breaking of bread and prayer. They had meaningful, expressive worship. That was a mark. That's the mark of a healthy church. And the early church had meaningful, expressive worship. We ought to be expressive in our worship of God. We ought not be coming here and sitting like a bump on a log and can't lift up holy hands, can't shout the victory, can't give God a praise. Listen, they were a, they were a, a, a very expressive church, okay? And so um, uh, the believers, uh, you know, broke bread together, you know, with common meals, but they also partook of the Lord's Supper. And we know that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, before you take up, you need to examine yourself. Amen? Examine yourself. Um, look at what happened here. And I, I'm going to close out. Uh, prayer was a vital part of that worship experience too, okay? Go, go to Acts 4.23 right there. Look at what happened when the believers were were in fellowship. They had common mindset and, and, and common purpose. And when people come together uh, uh, with a common mindset and common pur purpose that's built up on Jesus Christ, miraculous things can happen. Last thing, and we're going to get out of here, okay? Acts chapter number 4. Look at verse number 23 right quick, and we'll, we'll move on down. Acts 4, 23 says, well, uh, as soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. 24 says what? When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. 25 says what? You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? Next verse, read it. says what? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Next verse says what? Uh, in fact, this, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. 28 says what? But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. 29, let's read. Uh, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. 30, look at this. It says, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse number 31 says what? After this prayer, watch this. The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with what? With boldness. See, boldness comes from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when we release our hearts to his and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our life, then we can walk in spiritual boldness. This church walked in spiritual boldness. So the three points that we covered tonight, as we talk about the focus of the church, number one, we said what? The early church spent time studying the revealed word of God. Amen? Studying the revealed word of God. They, 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 they followed the apostles' doctrine. Number two, the early church did what? Spent time sharing their lives with one another. They had true fellowship of same mind and same purpose. Just because you eat dinner with me don't mean you fellowshipping with me. Can I get it? With you? Just because you partake of the Lord's Supper don't mean you in fellowship. Fellowship means that we have the same mind and the same purpose. When we get, come together with the same mind and same purpose, miraculous things take place. And thirdly, the early church spent time worshiping God. And that's what we want to focus in on, guys. Be a church that's known for studying the Word of God. Amen. Uh, be a church who spend time sharing our lives together. We're talking about connecting, J not just here on, you can't really just connect on Sundays and Wednesdays, guys. 
but it's, it's spending time together, uh, having the same mindset, having the same purpose. And lastly, we said what? What's the last thing? Spent time, the early church spent time worshiping God. And we want to be known as a church that worships. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this divine opportunity. You are God.